Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. So Labor Day is a day, uh, you know, when we celebrate the American worker, all of us, really. We get to kind of take a day off and uh, relax, you know, rest a little bit, uh, chill out, maybe get together with family and friends, have a barbecue, go to the beach, whatever, just kind of like chill for the day. For those of you that have to work, we will be thinking of you, okay? Um, But I was thinking this week about work, and you might be thinking, why do you want to talk about work? When it's Labor Day weekend, we don't want to think about work. But this is actually a really good time to think about work when you're not actually in the thick of it. Um, Because, you know, work plays a huge part in our lives. It really does. This week, I decided to do just a little bit of research to find out how big a part work plays in our lives, just in terms of the time that we devote to it. And I discovered that it's been calculated variously by different entities, but this is basically how much time we spend in an average life working. If you do 40 hours a week from the age of 20 to 65, with an average of two weeks vacation a year, it's been calculated that you will spend about 90,360 hours during your lifetime working. If you were to work 40 hours a week and start at 18 and work to 65, that total rises to like 97,760 hours in a lifetime. Now, there's different studies out there employing different methodologies to try and arrive at roughly what the average number of hours would be that a person would work in their life under those kinds of Uh, conditions and with those kinds of parameters I've just talked about. But one thing I discovered this week is that they all arrive at roughly the same kind of number or figure. In other words, we spend a huge chunk of our life working. And it's not just economists and sociologists and statisticians who look at that and have tried to calculate it. Psychiatrists and medical professionals do the same thing because they want to know what kind of impact does working have on our well-being. The Royal College of Psychiatrists has listed a whole series of benefits that accrue to us from working. And these are they. Social contacts and support a way of structuring and occupying our time, physical and mental activity, an opportunity to develop and use skills, social status, a sense of identity and personal achievement, and money and resources needed for mental and physical well-being. I'm not saying that this is an exhaustive list. This is just a list they've put out of some of the benefits that accrue to people when they work. 
But the truth is, whatever economists, sociologists, psychiatrists, and others have to say about the benefits of work, the Word of God has a lot to say about work. And as followers of Jesus, what the Word of God has to say about that is actually most significant to us. Amen? Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about work. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said this, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God and uh, before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in the same letter, Paul says this, Make it your ambition... I love this opening phrase. You could preach a message on this one. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, <laughs> and to work with your hands. Paul says, make this your ambition, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you to so that your daily life may, be, may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not need to be dependent on anybody. So on this day before Labor Day, I want to think about what the Bible has to say about work because we spend so much time doing it, but often so little time thinking about the significance of it. My primary text this morning is found in Colossians 3, it's verse 23, and it's very short, and this is what it says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Let me read that again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So the opening phrase here is really significant. It sets a tone for what follows where I want to go this morning in this message. Paul makes clear from the outset that work is what we do, but he's going to go on to tell us basically why we do it, who we work for, and how we're supposed to go about working. And he ends this little exhortation in Colossians 3.24 with this phrase, we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So when we work with all of our heart as working for the Lord and not for men, Paul says we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So I want to look more closely at this because there's something practical and powerful uh, in here. And the first thing I want to think about is then why do we work from what Paul says? And this is what he says again. Whatever you, whatever you do, work at it. There was an Anglican bishop called Richard Cumberland who once responded to someone who was trying to stop him from working so hard. And he said this, it's better to wear out than to rust out. It's better to wear out than to rust out. Now, I just want to kind of bring a little bit of balance to that because I think it's probably true that God does not want us to rust out from lack of use. 
On the other hand, on the other hand, I don't think he wants us to wear out from overuse. So there's a balance in there, right? But you get the point that he's making. That we're supposed to work. We're supposed to do it with energy and commitment and wholeheartedness. The one thing that's certain from Scripture is that God wants us to work. Now, that might not be the most popular message (laughs) out there. But it's the truth from God's Word. Now, that's going to look different for each of us, okay? So let's put that out there right there. For some, work might be uh, being in the home, caring for and raising children. That is work. That is real work. For others, work may mean being fully engaged in the marketplace and using our skills in various professions and trades. For others, work may mean uh, in a particular season of life, college or university. Uh, For others, it might mean working in a nonprofit or in the voluntary sector. For others who are retired, it might mean what they do with the time that they now have available to them. So what work looks like is going to be different for each one of us. So whatever our context, though, and our season in life, the simple truth is we work and God calls us to do so. God calls us to do so. So the first question Paul asks and implies in his statement is why do we do it? And um, there's a variety of answers to that scripturally. And I just want to cover some of them quickly. So let's look for a moment at what the broader answer to that question is from the Bible. The first thing that's clear is we work to provide for ourselves and our families. Luke records in uh, the words of Paul in Acts 20, 34, when he says this to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Paul says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And you probably know Paul made tents for a living. So he's saying to the elders of that church, my own hands provided for my needs and the needs of my companions. And he did that by making tents. He was a tent maker. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 10, that same guy, Paul, exhorts the church about the importance of work and the way he modeled it by working, he says, night and day and laboring. Look at these words, working, laboring, toiling. Working night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden. And he also gave a rule to the church, Paul, and it was this. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, let me just say, he's implying there, I believe, that if someone is capable of working. Obviously, if people are facing uh, challenges, uh, disabilities that prevent them from working, that's a different reality, obviously. But he's saying if someone is able to work and they're simply not willing to, They should face the consequences of that, Paul says. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. As well as working to support ourselves and our families, we work so that we can give to others in need. Please hear this. We don't just work to provide for ourselves 
and our loved ones. We have a responsibility to do that first, but that's not the only reason that we work. We work to have resources to give to others in need. Paul's emphatic about this. This is what he says. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul is making a link between working hard himself and being in a position to be able to help others that are weak and in need. And he quotes the Lord Jesus as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And by the way, parenthetically, don't try to look that phrase up in Scripture because you won't find it anywhere other than here. So Jesus must have said that somewhere else to Paul, and he wrote it down here. But he's invoking the name of Jesus who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Writing his letter to the Ephesians again, he says this, he who has been stealing must steal no more or no longer, but must work with his own hands. And here it is, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now that could not be clear. It's crystal clear. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work with his own, own hands that he may have something to share with those that are in need. We work then to provide for ourselves and our families and to give to others in need. That's why we work. And as important biblically as those things are, there's another even more basic, even more rudimentary reason why we work, and it's this, that we were created to do so. We were created to work. We don't work simply for compassionate and utilitarian reasons. We work because we were created to do so. Genesis 1.27 says, we were created in the image of God, correct? Yes, we were created in the image of God. And we know from Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in the whole of the Bible, that we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. So we have been created in the image of one who creates. We've been created in the image of one who works. And if we've been created in his image and to reflect his image, then one of the things about God that we're supposed to reflect is his creativity, his ability and desire, and the reality of the fact that he works. He created us like him to rule and to work. He made us to work. There's a misconception out there floating around. I don't know if you bumped into this or not, but I have. And it's that work is somehow the result of sin. That God never really intended us to work, but because we blew it, part of the punishment and consequence of that is that we now have to work. That is not biblical, it is not true, and it could not be more wrong. God made us to work. He designed us in part for that purpose. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we were created to rule over the earth. And Genesis 2.15 tells us we were given the mandate to work. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and care for it. This is pre the fall. This is pre the rebellion. This is pre listening to the voice that would draw us away from God's intended purpose. God put us in that place of his creation to work it and to care for it. Now, something did happen. You know the story. And after that fall, we read these words. God basically declares, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles. It's not easy to say, thorns and thistles. (laughs) Sin brought a curse that displaced the prior blessing. Now it's thorns and thistles. It now became difficult and frustrating rather than fruitful in the way that it was previously. However, work was never a penalty for sin. The call to work is something God always intended and created us for. Work is not a curse to have to live with. Work is not an interruption we have to contend with. Work is not an inconvenience that we have to navigate our way through. Work is the creative will of the creative God who created us and designed us in part to work. The second question is this, who do we work for? And Paul says, as working for the Lord and not for men. This is so important for us to see as followers of Jesus. Working for the Lord and not for men. This is a clear and compelling answer Paul has to who do we work for. Now, let me just tell you this. In the immediate context in which Paul is writing the principal text for the message today, Colossians 3, 23, and then the piece that follows it in verse 24. In the immediate context of that letter, Paul is talking about slaves. Now, I want to be accurate to the text because that's the context in which Paul writes those words that form the text for our message this morning. He's speaking about people, human beings that were treated like property, who were subject to the worst kind of oppression, people who were made to do hard, menial work, in many cases in the cruelest of circumstances. And let me say parenthetically too, Paul was not supporting the institution of slavery. He was simply recognizing the reality on the ground as it was, and he sought to interject into that reality Christ-like attitudes and actions on the part of those who were subjected to it. Having said that, in this context, Paul writes these words this morning to those who are having to live with the reality of slavery. And while he, he instructs them to obey their earthly masters, which he reiterates in other places as well, There's something else bigger that Paul is uh, communicating here. He's answering that simple question, who do we work for? I don't know if you've ever really stopped and thought about that. Who do we really work for? He says, we work for the Lord, not for men. And not just any Lord, the Lord Jesus 
Paul understood that we will have earthly masters, and I'm not saying that you don't have a boss and people you're accountable to. Absolutely you do. And that's different for each of us, depending on the context we're in. But writing to the Christians in Ephesus, talking to them about obedience in the work context, he says that those that we work for and those that we work under, we should respect with a sincere heart just as we would obey Christ, Ephesians 6, 5. That's quite a statement, that we are to respect and obey those that we work for just as we would obey Christ. Let me ask you this morning, is that how, is that your attitude toward those that you work for? Is that how you treat them? The same as you would Christ? Now, let me just say something else here so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Paul's not implying that Christians should do anything and everything that those that they work for might tell them to do in the workplace. If someone tells you to do something that's unlawful, as a believer, you don't do it. If somebody tells you in the workplace to do something that's immoral, as a believer and follower of Jesus, you do You don't have a requirement to obey that. In that instance, you obey God rather than men. All right, so there are circumstances and situations in which our allegiance has to be first to God, to Jesus, when we're confronted with situations that violate our commitment to him. All right, I want to make that clear. But basically, in other circumstances and situations, we are called to treat those that we work for with respect. We're to obey them. We're to recognize the position they're in. And here's something we are expressly forbidden from doing. And and Jim Fasulu touched on this in his uh, message last week about the power of our words. Here's something we are expressly forbidden from doing in Scripture. Grumbling gossiping and complaining about those that we work for. We are expressly told not to do that in Scripture. Remember, Paul says, treat those in the work environment that we work alongside and that we work under just as we would obey Christ. Why? Why? Because ultimately, God is our employer. Ultimately, we work for the Lord. This doesn't mean we diminish or or, or, uh, don't recognize those that are over us in the workplace. I've just talked about the fact that we have an obligation to do that. But ultimately, we work for Jesus. We're in his employ. We're in the ploy of the master working for the advance of his kingdom. He's our boss and everything we do in work, we do for him to please him for his purpose and his glory. So whether you're pounding nails or laying tiles, whether you're wiring a house or felling a tree, whether you're keeping books or providing loans, whether you're teaching in a school or writing software, whether you're arguing a case in a court of law or serving a customer looking to purchase a product, 
whether you're drawing up architectural plans or you're managing a project, whether you're providing a meal to those in need or serving the health care needs of those that are sick or anything else, whatever we are doing, we are doing for the Lord. Honoring God as a real employer in that sense. That's so important for us to see. The last thing is this, how do we work? And Paul tells us in this phrase how we're to work. And this is what he says. With all your heart, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. How are we to work? With all of our heart. Why? Because it is the Lord Christ that we are serving. It's not just important to know why we work and who we work for, but how God wants us to do so. Paul's really clear about this. He uses that simple phrase, with all your heart. And that really grabbed my attention. With all your heart. And I looked this phrase up. And that phrase, with all your heart, literally means from the soul. From the soul. In other words, Paul is saying when, when you work, whatever you do, work at it with everything you have. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. Those things that comprise the soul. He's saying when you work at a job, do it with everything you've got. Bring your mental energy, your physical, everything that you have. And bend your will to that purpose to perform that task, whatever it is. Bring your entire soul into play. He's saying hold nothing back. He's saying work with wholehearted devotion. It's not just a matter of energy and work rate either. It's a matter of devotion. The very language with all your heart is the language of devotion. You say those words when you're talking about someone that you deeply love. A husband or wife will say this to one another. I love you with all my heart. Or a father or a mother to a son or a daughter. This is the language of devotion that Paul's using here. And I thought, this is a little, isn't this a little over the top to use that kind of intimate language with respect to work? I can get it if you're talking about marriage or love or deep, deep friendships like the one that Jonathan and David had. But you're talking about work and all my heart and holding nothing back? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. That's exactly and precisely the language he's employing. Why? Because he wants us to understand how significant what our work is in the economy of God. Let me ask you this morning when you're working, is a half-hearted job good enough? Are we satisfied with doing the minimum and taking the maximum? Or do we rationalize that it's okay just doing enough to get by? Find another great quote from Winston Churchill this week. He said this, we make, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Yeah, we make a living, we can get by. Just do enough to get by, we'll make a living. Churchill says, no, we make a life by what we give. 
When we work, are we giving wholeheartedly? Because we recognize that ultimately we're serving the Lord Christ. Because God wants us to see our work as meaningful even when sometimes it may seem mundane. Earlier I talked about the misconception that work, uh, even hard work, is a result of sin. The idea that it's some form of punishment, which it's not scripturally. There's another misconception floating around out there, and it's pretty pervasive, I think, in the church and has been historically, perhaps even more so historically than the other misconception. It's this, that work is secular and ministry is sacred. It's the misguided notion that's a difference between the secular and the sacred for a Christian. I want to say this morning, this is a false dichotomy. For the believer, there's no such thing as secular and sacred. Paul said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. The phrase whatever is all-inclusive. It means there is nothing outside of what I'm saying with reference to work now, Paul says. Whatever you do, whatever you work at, do it with all your heart. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Writing to Titus, Paul says this. To the pure, all things are pure. Now, he's not talking about work in that immediate context. Let me make that clear. But I think there's a spiritual principle there that applies to work as it does to anything else. To the pure, all things are pure. Your job and your work are as spiritual as this worship service this morning that we're devoting to God. In a real sense, you sanctify the work that you do. You've been set apart unto God, which is what sanctify means. You've been purified through Christ, which is what sanctification means. And when you who are pure do whatever it is that God's entrusted you to do, that thing becomes pure because you're doing it in and through Christ and for his glory because you're serving him. When it comes to your work, God puts you there. God equipped you with the skill set, the knowledge base, the overall ability to perform the tasks that he has entrusted to you. That's what we believe as Christians. We don't believe that we're just in situations because of random chance. We didn't, we don't, we've not signed up to that fallacy. Our lives are purposeful. God places us. Now, I'm not saying that God fixes you in a place forever, necessarily. But when we are where we are, we believe as followers of Jesus that God is orchestrating and superintending our lives. And it's not an accident. We're not there because of random chance. I want you to think about the heroes of faith for a minute in in Hebrews 11. I did a little bit of looking at that this week. Think of these guys that are listed in the heroes of faith list in Hebrews 11. You got Abe, Abraham, right? He was a nomadic farmer. That's basically what he was. Isaac, similarly. Joseph, he had a variety of jobs. He helped to run a prison as an inmate, and then he landed up becoming governor of Egypt. Moses began basically 
after he ran away from Pharaoh's household in the purposes of God, he began as a shepherd. Remember, he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert looking after sheep. And then he landed up becoming leader of the nation of Israel. Rahab, well, we all know what she did, and I guess she was the exception to the rule. Uh, But Gideon worked in a vineyard, and then he became a military leader, as did Barak and David, who also began as a shepherd and a psalmist, eventually became a king. As far as I can see, in the list of heroes in Hebrews 11, there's only one person who's named, who is set aside from real young to the purposes of God, such that he wasn't going to land up working in the real world, so to speak. And that guy was Samuel, who was called to be a prophet from real young. Every one of the rest of those heroes of faith that's numbered and named worked in the real world. They had some kind of a job that they did. And they served God in and through that and his purposes. If we do what the Bible does not do, and we draw a false distinction and dichotomy and say, that work is secular but ministry is sacred, then we will rationalize not working with all of our heart because we'll tell ourselves, work, well, it's just work. It's kind of less than. You know, work is just for men and women. Ministry is for the Lord. So I'll put all my effort into ministry, but when it comes to work, I'll do enough to get by because after all, it's secular. will end up relegating and demeaning a huge chunk of our life and the creativity and call of God on our lives in the context of that which God has called us to. And we must not do that. It's a fallacy. Work is ministry and ministry is work and all is from God and for God. Everything that you do every day in the work context that God's placed you, whether that's at home raising kids or whether it's out there in the marketplace and everything in between is ministry. Every bit as much as anything I do or anybody else does who's in so-called full-time ministry. You've heard me say this before. I don't even like that phrase. It's not even really biblical. I'm in full-time ministry. We're all in full-time ministry. That's rooted in a false dichotomy that separates ministry as being spiritual and work as being secular. No, no. What you do is intrinsically valuable. You are ministering to God each and every single day and it basically is a lie from the enemy that puts on people this idea like, well, my life doesn't amount to anything. I'm just doing this. I have to spend hours doing this. You know, I'd much rather be doing that than somebody else is doing for the church or whatever it is. When we do what God has called us to do, this is how we're called to do it in the Bible. We are to serve with integrity, with honesty, and with passion. With integrity, with honesty, and with passion. This is how we're called to work. Because we recognize we're working for the Lord Christ, not for men. Our wholehearted devotion to him will be mirrored in our work. Look, it's easy to speak words of wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Where the rubber meets the road is in the place 
where we spend so many of our waking hours and so many of our living hours, and that's working. When others at work grumble, we will make a decision not to. This is really where it, 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 this is where Jesus really shows through. When others grumble, we will make a decision not to. When others are dishonest and steal, as Paul said, we don't do that. We don't steal time from our employer or anything else. When others do the minimum, we won't. Why? Because we know who we're serving. Who we are at work, I want to say, is one of the most powerful testimonies we will ever have. And in case you're thinking, well, it's okay for you to speak, you know, given what you do, you're surrounded by Christians all the time, you're not out there in the real world. Let me tell you, two-thirds of my working life before coming into this, I worked out there in the marketplace. And I know what the challenge is to be a testimony to Jesus in that place. Thomas Edison, you know, the great American inventor and businessman, he said this, what you are will be shown in what you do. What you are will be shown in what you do. And the context in which what we do with our waking hours most gives us the opportunity to show who we are really is at work because we spend so much time there. Our work reveals something about us. It reveals, and let me say this, it reveals much more about, it, it reveals as much about our attitude as it does about our ability. It reveals as much about our character as it does about our creativity. When the Bible says when we are working, we are ministering. When we are laboring, we are ministering. It's a spiritual function, a kingdom stewardship that God has entrusted to each one of us. When we're working, we are serving him. I want to end with this. The Bible says that we're capable ministers of a better covenant. Other than your home, other than your home, there's probably no other place where you get the opportunity to be a capable minister of a better covenant more than during the working hours in your place of employment, whatever that is. Because I say to you this morning, and I think you know this is true, who you are at work and who you are at home, in those places, who you are really shows through. It's not who we are on Sunday morning at church. I mean, it should do, but that's not the acid test of us revealing who we really are. It's who we are in closed doors at home, and it's who we are in the workplace, where who we are really shows through. When something happens that we don't like, and a boss says something that we object to, and that you feel that rising up within, you know, and what we do with that counts. The Lord demands that the way we work is with integrity, honesty, and passion. And really, we should settle for nothing less. That should be our aspiration. Now look, we fall short, of course we do. 
We're on the way to glory, right? We're being transformed from one degree of glory to the other. We haven't arrived, right? None of us is going to have a perfect record in that. But aspirationally, this is what we're shooting for. This is what we're committed to. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we will do. So let me end now by saying this. Much of our lives is spent in work, right? As you think about this Labor Day tomorrow, and for many of us, not all of us, it'll be an opportunity maybe to kick back and rest a little bit. But remember this, you're going to spend, based on those stats I gave you at the, moment, at the beginning, probably in excess of 90,000 waking hours of your life working, doing something. Now you can even look at, you can look at that and think, oh my gosh, how depressing. <laughs> or you can say, you know what, Lord? That's 90,000 plus hours in my life that I get to serve you and to reveal you through me to those that I work with as I do whatever it is you've entrusted to me to do. Why do we work? Because God calls us to, and he created us to do it. Who do we work for? The Lord Jesus. God really is your employer. And we've just said how we do work. We work wholeheartedly. So as you think about and celebrate tomorrow, having a little bit of rest from work, think about this. All the hours of work that you will perform after tomorrow's rest, you have the opportunity of doing that knowing that you're serving Jesus.